Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be approaching the fourth trimester from a more culturally traditional point of view. Lisa Chin is here to tell us about her experience of following the Chinese tradition of sitting the month, which involves eating body-warming foods, staying inside, and not showering for weeks. How did this impact her recovery? Stay tuned to find out more. This episode of Breathful is brought to you by Natural Breastfeeding and their free quick start video, which shows you a simple technique to prevent nipple pain and the easiest way to help your newborn latch and for you to produce enough milk for your baby. Go watch it at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The Breathful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be and Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be. Thank you, as always, for listening and for all the love you give the show. I really appreciate your comments and requests and, of course, your reviews, since those help get the show in front of even more parents. So if you enjoy what you hear, then please consider leaving a review in iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to it, because it really, really helps. Also, if you want to learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, and my birth partner's ultimate labor support toolkit, then go to birthfall.com. All right, moving on to the show. My guest today is Lisa Chin, who is a holistic mama to a happy two-year-old girl. Motherhood has profoundly changed who she is and how she sees the world and the mark she wants to leave in it. So she seeks to live an inspired life of mothering, writing, and pursuing what calls to be created. When she's not wrangling spreadsheets or her toddler, she can be found writing for her blog, Lisa For Real lisaforreal.com, where she shares her thoughts on fierce femininity, eureka moments, and lessons in self-awareness. Her latest project is the Fourth Trimester Summit, where Lisa has interviewed over 40 experts in women's health, infant development, and mental health who share their knowledge so new moms can create their ideal postpartum experience. And I, I love the idea of the fourth trimester summit and I love it so much that that's how Lisa and I connected originally and I'm actually one of full disclosure I'm actually one of the experts that she um, interviewed for it and that will be participating for it so you'll be hearing more about that very soon I'm sure I will be letting you know about it but in the meantime we are going to focus on Lisa's postpartum experience and our topic was sort of like will you shower and Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for that introduction, Adriana. Oh, absolutely. So when we connected, you were telling me your postpartum experience was rather unusual for what we're used to in the Western, you know, sort of culture. And that how so how did you shower? Let's answer <laughs> that first question. Tell me about your showering habits during postpartum. There were no showers to be had during my my first 30 days postpartum. <laughs> All right. Let's let people sink that in. Let, let it sink in. So it was 30 days you didn't shower. Yes. And, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, after we started talking to, to each other and I watched your video about how new moms, you know, just don't have the time to shower, I thought, you know, I kind of just built it into my postpartum plan not to shower. So I had the expectation that I wasn't going to and it worked out. 
Yeah, perfect. I mean, you took that. Yeah, and and I will link to that video. Thank you for reminding um, me and and listeners about it. I will link to that video, which is called "Why It's So Hard to Take a Shower with Your Newborn." Um, that works walks you through what day to day life looks like, and it's kind of in a sense that video was I I was inspired to make it to give new moms. A, a, a realistic expectations to understand what their days are going to look like and that probably showering is not uh, something that's a priority in that case but in your case you came you know you already had that different expectation that where did that expectation come from sure so um i'm chinese so i grew up i, I was born in the u.s but my mother and my father and my brother were all born there so i have a lot of the traditions and culture in mind in just day-to-day activities. And particularly postpartum, there are very specific practices that in traditional Chinese culture have been practiced for a very, very long time. And it's very prevalent in a lot of different traditional cultures as well. I can't, can't speak as an expert to any of them really, but I know that the whole idea of resting and sitting in um, is very paramount and very important in those different cultures. So in Chinese culture, it's really important for you to just rest and the focus is purely on that and to establish the breastfeeding relationship. And it almost is like rest is more important than anything else. Um, and the idea is that the way that we take care of ourselves postpartum will really set the foundation for motherhood, but it also has an impact on long-term health effects, like health um implications. So for instance, one of my friends, her mom, she's Taiwanese, um, and her mom didn't have a great postpartum. She didn't really have anyone to take care of her. And she um, developed lupus in the past, I want to say six years or so. And she attributes it to the fact that she didn't have a good postpartum experience. And there's also thought that like arthritis, um, like menopause, that is experienced really poorly, like the, all the bad things associated with menopause, headaches, backaches, bone aches, like all these different things. And it's very superstitious in Chinese culture. But I always feel that superstition kind of has some sort of originality, um, some truth to it. So I like to err on the side of caution. Um, and, you know, the whole idea of being able to rest for 30 days made a lot of sense to me. And so that was the plan to do that. And part of that is not to shower for those 30 days. And, and so not showering has a couple of components to it in that, you know, you don't shower because you're resting. There's also the idea in Chinese medicine of like heat and cold or hot and cold. Mm -hmm. And so when we are pregnant, we're inherently hot, you know, I mean, all pregnant women can agree, like you have this like furnace, you're basically growing a baby and baking, you know, a bun in the oven. Oh, can Um, I tell it? So my daughter was born in March. And I am originally from Venezuela. Listeners know this because I say it almost <laughs> in every single episode. And But I live in Rochester, New York, where it's super cold during the winter. That was my favorite winter of all because I was running so warm that I was that was a winter, the first one ever, that I wasn't cold because mm. she was born in March. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know, like, specifically, like, but our body temperature increases and... Um, that's one of the first signs of pregnancy if you're tracking it, right? Like your body, your basal temperature 
or basal temperature or waking temperature, whatever you want to call it, increases in the morning. So yeah, we're, we're running hot. And so, and that happens all throughout pregnancy. It's really important. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, in terms of science, there's a lot of science behind it too, um, which I can't really get into because I'm not like really averse or a really um, an expert on the, that information. But hmm. well, the, I mean, and, and so doing my insight into that is what what happens is because you have increased blood volume and you also have uh, it's mostly that you have. And, and I know that the little I know from the Chinese culture is you have the concept of, of blood is very important. Right. So mm-hmm. when you are pregnant, you have increased blood volume. Your your uh it's not your nervous system your 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 ah uh, blood system what the oh, your circulatory Thank system you. <laughs> your circulatory system is running on a different volume and that's why it's also like hard to get ivs in for for mm. moms during pregnant during um birth uh, in labor because the the pressure the way the circulatory system is altered um and you're also burning a lot more calories and working hard because there is a body being created inside you. Um, so altogether, your system altered so much that blood is a, it's a, it's increased. You have a lot more of that heat internally. And then when you give birth, there's a big loss of that heat mm-hmm. and that, that blood, you know, and yep. one of the biggest things that the, the, the most, significant scare of of birth is that chance of hemorrhaging right so everybody's Mm -hmm. very high alert of the detaching of the placenta and is there too much blood loss and how's that happening but aside from that instant your body has to adjust to now the placenta is gone and the baby's gone and and you're returning to that normal blood volume of your non-pregnant self so there is that increase in blood and heat and decrease which has the science to back up what you're saying yeah. And I wonder also, there's a bit about like, the increased temperature helping with like pathogens and your immune system. Mm. Uh, see that? I don't know about that's a good one for to research. I will yeah. look into that one. Yeah, I think I've heard that as well. Um, yeah, so and you kind of covered it like, you know, we we have all of this heat in us. And then when we give birth, we don't have that anymore. I mean, literally, the the bun is out of the oven. Um, the oven kind of shuts down. The placenta leaves, and we have this vacancy in our body, this like hole, this gaping hole, or this pocket of air, if you will. Um, and so, in Chinese medicine, the you know air is associated with like cold and dampness, and um, and so when we lose our, you know, when we have our babies and we we lose all that blood, we have we basically become cold. I mean, we I think some of the symptoms or some of the reactions that some moms have after giving birth is like shivering or like feeling really cold or having hot flashes like that temperature change is like really, um, really common. And so when you when you know, so I knew that if when I had my baby, I would be in this cold state and the cold state and air itself can like really permeate into our bodies in a lot of different ways. And so the belief is that if you take a bath or a shower, you are inviting water obviously into your space but that water becomes cold because once water hits air you know it just becomes cold and so then you're making your body cold when in reality you want it to be as warm as possible because you want it to bring it back up to a state of being nurtured and being warm 
And so your body's really, really vulnerable during that time. So you want to keep it as warm as possible. And taking a bath is counteractive to keeping warm. So what if you took a really warm bath for a long time? Yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, some of my relatives and some of my friends who practice some of the practices and didn't, you know, they kind of picked and choose, chose. And so they said, well, you know, that was back in the day before like hair drying was invented and um, like hair dryers were invented and hot water was readily available. But I do think that at any point, though, you are going to get cold because you're unless I guess you're under like a heat lamp. But even then you there is this transition of like changing your temperature from one to another. Um, So I think it's even just like the the shock of going from one state to another and this is just my own personal like thinking about it. But even going from a state of dryness to wetness and then back to dampness and then dryness, like I wonder if that even has um, an impact on just how stable our body is. Like our body wants to be in kind of a constant state so that it can concentrate on repairing itself. And so if it's concentrating on regulating its temperature in either lowering it or increasing it or whatever, like, and it, it fluctuates like that, I wonder if it stresses it out. I don't know. Um, but my, I definitely have had friends who have, have not done what I've done. Um, I've I took it to the extreme, um, in that, in that scenario, in that case, but they did say that there is this thought like, well, it was before hair dryers, it was before warm mm-hmm. water. And I think that there's, you know, there's certainly a validity to it, but I'm, I'm thinking if I'm going to go, I'm just like, I'm not going to chance it. If there's any sort of consequence to taking a bath or not even taking a bath, but just the whole experience. And I feel that the whole not showering thing is actually a pretty big part of it. Um, because it's, and when I think of, you know, you're not supposed to wash your hair for 30 days. So with my mom, what she did was she would sponge bathe and then she didn't wash her hair for 30 days. She ended up going to work, I think like a week or two postpartum. So she couldn't practice the whole like lying in period, but she did as much as she could. And so she didn't wash her hair. Um, and so, yeah, you can kind of take it in a lot of different ways. There's a, you know, I think the beauty of nowadays is nothing is forced upon you. Uh-huh. So you do have the ability to pick and choose what you want to do. And so what other parts of not showering for the 30 days, what other elements of complete the practice? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I know my experience, I don't know the full, I mean, I think you can go like full Monty and just like do everything, but I, so I basically just hung out at home. You're not supposed to go outside and expose yourself to just like the stress of outside, you know, especially if it's winter, it's freezing, right? So if it's cold outside, then you don't want to expose yourself to cold air, but you also don't want to, um, expose yourself to even just like the pollution it's just like everything that's outside um so I stayed inside except for doctor's appointments and I went to the grocery store once because I had to after a doctor's appointment but other than that I really just stayed inside for 30 days and just hung out with my mom um and then that's one thing another thing is just literally not doing anything so it's really in Chinese culture, you know, the mother or the mother-in-law comes and they help you out and they do everything around the house. They'll take care of the baby when you're not nursing it, um, nursing them, you know, him or her. And they'll take care of, you know, household chores. And so 
in China, at least in these traditional practices, there was a community that was there to support you. And so, you know, we kind of have that a little bit in like postpartum doulas or even, you know, like night nurses, like different, we have like different people who, uh, who can help you with that. Um, but you know, having like someone there 24 seven who is, you know, a family member is such a great part of the experience. Um, and so I did really didn't do anything. I didn't do any chores. You're not supposed to, you know, lift anything heavier than your baby. Um, you are not supposed to like do anything really active at all. Like not even really walks. Like you're just supposed to lay in bed and let everything kind of work itself out internally. And then another part of it is the food aspect. So as we talked about, you know, our body loses a lot of heat during birth and in postpartum, we work to build back that heat into our bodies. And so Chinese medicine is all about balance. And so if we're in a cold state, we have to kind of bring ourselves back in to a warm state. Um, and so you can be too hot and you can be too cold. So in either case, you kind of want to regulate that. I don't know about it from the perspective of pregnancy because you're in like a hotter state. Um, but in terms of postpartum, you're in a cold state. So you want to build back that heat into your body. And a lot of it is through food in addition to all these other practices of like not showering and not going outside. And so food was a really big part of it. Um, and so my mom cooked everything and um, I was really spoiled and she a big spice to use is ginger during the postpartum period. So literally like pickled vinegar eggs with like tons of ginger, uh, chicken with ginger, fried eggs with ginger, rice with ginger, soups with ginger. Um, it was just like everything you can think of, just like <laughs> threw a bunch of ginger in there. And and that was just really important. And it kind of got to a point where it's like, you know, the first couple of meals, I mean, the first like week is like, oh, this is delicious. And then afterwards, you're just thinking, oh, you my God, You didn't want to see so ginger much. ever again. <laughs> no. And I, and I run hot, like in terms of like Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, like I already have like a hot disposition. And so it's very unnatural for me to want to eat so much ginger as well. Like, so I don't, I try not to eat it in general. Mm -hmm. And so having it kind of like, thrown upon me during postpartum and like she's like you have to eat this um it was kind of like okay I guess I'll do this it's you know because I trust that I needed to build up my heat um and so yeah that that was a big part of it and the food itself too um there's a lot of soups that my mom makes and so it, different regions of China I believe have different practices so I'm from the southern region um and soups are really big in Canton or in Guangdong Guangdong. Um, and so she made a lot of different soups and the soups are meant to not only nurture you cause they're like hot and warming and full of a lot. It's like a lot of, a lot of bone broth based soups. Um, but it's also supposed to help with lactation. So what I found was like whenever I had this soup that she made with pig's feet and papaya and ginger and peanuts, it was I, I would always get like a boost in my milk supply. Hmm. Um, yeah. And there's this thought that I think papaya helps with lactation. I don't know if that's in Western knowledge or in Eastern, but I've definitely read that somewhere. Well, it's similar to, you know, we, I, there's so many ideas that are coming to my mind as you're talking, because I do, while you were saying these are ancient cultures, these are practices that the women have done for generations way before 
you know, we had all the all the fabulous technology and modern day accommodations and running hot water and, and you know, hair dryers. But what we haven't really studied the science behind it so much. They do know the benefits of it. And it, it and, and now that we're starting to look a little bit of like, huh, looking back like our birth practices, we're looking that maybe what doing less interventions makes more sense because nature's mm-hmm. kind of got it. And with yeah. breastfeeding, going back to having the infant, you know, have a lead role in, in mm-hmm. initiating the breastfeeding and all these things. And then in the postpartum, when we look at where we're at right now, with our postpartum mood disorder rates and when you have one in seven mom experiencing some sort of symptoms and one in three saying their postpartum experience was not satisfactory and that it was really hard and and while it might not have been diagnosed as some sort of disorder there was a lot of sadness and anxiety and stress surrounding it we kind of know that what we're doing is not working Mm-hmm. And then when we look at these societies, and I come from it f- for like what I m- I'm more familiar with is the Latin American um, experience of it, which is the cuarentena, which is 40 days. And if you look at different cultures in Asia and in, in Africa, the, the idea that the magic number seems to be about around that, around 30 to mm-hmm. 40 days where moms are just taken care of. But yeah. then if we flip that, and, 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 and so looking at these societies, they don't have these numbers of postpartum mood disorders. Yep. And I think that's like where the proof is in the pudding and more information needs to be, you know, more research needs to be done or, or tie it in, looked at and explored and looked at and, and in terms of what is it that makes moms who are following these practices have better experiences and how to how to incorporate it into our daily lives into our our, our postpartums in in our western worlds so if you don't have 30 days or 40 days you only have two weeks then what can you do if you don't have um you know your mom that can come and, and and have all these recipes for you what can you do and how to adapt it and there's this fabulous book and it's called the immigrant advantage and oh. for the love of me, I can't remember. I read it, and I can't remember the name of the author. I read it several years ago. It's The Immigrant Advantage, and there's one chapter specifically dedicated to the cuarentena, to that postpartum period. And she looks at it. What what they've studied is, okay, you have, fine, when, when you have these practices in China or in Latin America, the culture knows how to do it, but what about when you bring it to Western society? So they it, they research immigrants from Latin America, specifically to the quarantena, who in the U.S. Mm-hmm. having the same level of pollution, of stress, of, of work conditions, of everything else being relatively the same. And the only thing that was different for their postpartum experience was taking these ideals of not having mom do anything and be at home for as long as possible and somebody else take care of baby except for breastfeeding and have mom just focus on recovery and discovering her new reality as a new mom mm-hmm. that they're being in the u.s that they this population's rate of postpartum mood disorders was practically non-existent wow and i'm not surprised right at all so it's one of those things that we're like ah oh, i don't know if 
this makes sense, but I think what we're lacking is more exploration into the science because if we look a little deep into it, the results are there. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this morning as I was just going through my Facebook feed and there was something about science and research and something, I forget the topic, but, you know, I think that there's a balance of, you know, we've come to rely on science, but like you said, with birth, like we're returning to all of these like ancient or, you know, not even as research, but certainly more practical and just more logical practices. And I think that there's, you know, especially with something like birth and postpartum, it's just all it's, we've been doing it for millennia. So why would we approach it? Why would we interject ourselves into a process that has already been working and sustaining itself for so long when and kind of trying to like outsmart it when there are practices in place? And it also makes me really upset that, you know, this that these practices aren't available for women in the U.S. specifically because we don't have the resources and we don't have the support for it. Um, but it makes total sense to me that a woman that feels supported in that postpartum period would not feel that anxiety and depression or not feel it as much as someone who is just doing it by themselves. Yeah. And we're going to have to take a quick break right now. <laughs> I looked at the time. It's like, oh, time for break. <laughs> but <laughs> when we come back, I want you to tell you to tell us what, you know, how did these practices make you, did it match your expectations? And what was the hardest part? What did you enjoy the most? And how can they be adapted for somebody who doesn't want to, you know, doesn't have a Chinese mom who with the heritage that will come and take care of them for 30 days, how to incorporate some of these practices mindfully into maybe their Western reality. So we'll we'll be right back. Did you know that even though most expectant moms plan to breastfeed, the majority aren't really adequately prepared to get off to a good start? That is why world-renowned breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher have created their fabulous quick start video that gives you everything you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. Best of all, it's free. How awesome is that? Through their quick start video, you'll learn a simple technique that prevents nipple pain. You'll also find about the simplest way to help a newborn latch, as well as the best way to produce enough milk for your baby. These things will set you well on your way to a blissful breastfeeding relationship. And did I mention that it's free? Go watch the quick start video to natural breastfeeding at naturalbreastfeeding.com. And we're back and we're talking, I'm talking to Lisa Chin about, you know, whether you're ta- you're going to take a, a shower during the postpartum period and why that might be something that you may not want to do or that it's actually just simply difficult to do. Uh, Lisa, before we went for the break, I was talking about, I was going to, I left the question of asking you, you know, what, so you had this great experience. How did it make a difference? for you what was the hardest part what was the one you you enjoyed the most so I would say the hardest part was in the mental preparation of it so the idea of being inside for 30 days so you you know you're pregnant and you're thinking oh I can't wait to 
you know, just kind of relax, you know, after birth and, you know, do kind of get back into maybe like some other activities or there's this whole expectation to like from society that we kind of just bounce back and we're out and about and hang out with friends and doing what we need to do postpartum. So it was this mental block I had in making myself realize that like, uh, yes, I need to stay inside for 30 days or I need, you know, like, I really need to just be very mindful of not doing too much during this period. And as someone who's always trying to do more, it was, it, it took me a while to kind of wrap myself around that. Um, so I would say that was probably the most challenging thing. Cause once you're, cause once you're in it, you're, you're just tired and you're so focused on the baby and you're just in it that you don't even think about oh my gosh, I didn't go outside today. You're just there. Um, and so, and I would say the most enjoyable part about it was, you know, the first couple of weeks were tough. Like until I kind of got a better hang of the breastfeeding, you know, it was tough. But after that, I really enjoyed the time with my mom. And I think that was like my favorite part about it was the, uh, and you know, this obviously isn't applicable to everyone, but like to be able to just like hang out with her all day and, and share stories and spend this time with her first grandchild. And, and it was just such a cool experience. And I imagine that's like what it would have been like if we were living in huts and, you know, your mom like came over to take care of you after you gave birth and you were able to kind of like reflect and, and, you know, share stories that you might not have heard about before. And so that was the really cool part about it. Um, a very, I couldn't have predicted that that would have been something I really enjoyed. But I remember sitting on the couch one afternoon and just being like, wow, this is so cool that I can just like spend this time with her and do that. Mm, that's fantastic. And I, I can appreciate how going into it, it required a mental preparation of such a different life day to day reality from what we usually do, right? This is, yeah. but having that sort of imposed creating that space creating that time and setting those very basic expectations they perfectly match what we know are the greatest pillars for a good postpartum which is to have get a lot of sleep have some great nutrition and have amazing support mm -hmm. and those are kind of it so you know yeah you this this tradition brought forth that space where you allowed yourself to do this and i can see how the it, we, we know what the benefits are of that yeah. um so the question is can that be adapted to a shorter two week or or what what can moms do when they don't have the luxury of taking 30 days yeah, I think, you know, there's absolutely things that mom can do. And I know that moms will be listening to this from all walks of life. Like, for instance, I mentioned my mom, she worked in a factory. I mean, you know, it was like she was doing heavy duty things at, like very soon after birth, a week or two. Um, and so but you can do what you can. Right. And so you can take it as far as not washing your hair for those 30 days. Um but and that's something that's like actually you could do that because it's doesn't it's not like it takes away time from anything else. 
whereas resting may be a little more difficult. But I think seeking support is something that people can easily do if they, you know, even if they live in an area where they don't know too many people, going to a mom's group beforehand or joining like an online mom's forum. I've done, you know, I'm part of a couple in the Boston area and seeking, you know, support from other moms who've been there and done that. Um, I know that there's a a service called Meal Train or not a service, but it's a website and you can kind of arrange for friends and family to help support you during postpartum by giving you, bringing meals to you. So it really depends on where you want to focus. But in terms of nutrition, you can certainly, you know, aside from like getting meals from other people, which is really great, you can always prepare beforehand. Um, There's a couple of different books that um, actually uh, my guests from the summit, um, some of the speakers have written um, one, the first 40 days by Han Oh, and then another one is um, 40 days for the next 40 years, something like that. I don't have it um, readily available, but that's by Sunny Rose Healy from Mama Ayurveda. And those have just like very simple tips that you can incorporate to, you know, make nutrition kind of, uh, you know, easily available to you when you're in your postpartum, like something easy could be like ginger tea that you sip throughout the day. And that doesn't require too much. Um, instead of having cold water, like don't have cold water, you can start even there, but focusing on warming yourself up, um, always having a sweater with you. Don't go into the supermarket with shorts on. Um, don't exercise too soon afterwards. I can kind of go in a lot of different directions with it. Um, but I feel that, you know, the gentler we are on ourselves during that period, physically, the better off we are. So resting as much as you can, getting the support, and then nutritionally, just small wins, you know, stay away from cold things, um, especially iced things and, um, and teas, bone broths are really good. Um, papaya, you know, warmer fruits, um, cooked fruits, stewed fruits in the beginning are really good for the digestion, digestion system. Um, it's really a digestive system. Sorry about that. <laughs> and yeah, I just think that there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I think, you know, starting off is bring a sweater with you everywhere. If you need to like go off to work right away, um, try to just take it easy and, and rest as much as possible and drink, warm things and eat warm things. Mm. Those are a lot of good recommendations. And I like the breaking it down to simple actions of don't have cold water, have ginger tea instead and bring a sweater that that's great. That is definitely great. So you mentioned a couple of books, and I will link to them on the show notes from from the summit. And that brings me to my next question, which is, so what was this experience pivotal in in having you create a summit? What what drew you to creating this fourth trimester summit? Yeah, that's thank you for asking that. The you know, you mentioned in kind of when you were introducing me, like motherhood has really been just it's kind of opened me up in so many different ways. And and so as I was looking to do a summit, um I I kinda I bought a course on it, so I I had a different idea and then I realized that I wasn't operating from the intentions that I wanted to operate from with that idea. So I took a step back and I thought, you know, if I could do one thing 
one topic and and I can make a difference with it, um, what would I do? And immediately I thought of postpartum. And it was very much because of this experience and the research that I have done and also the anecdotal evidence that I had from friends and family and how, and I'm a big believer in how pregnancy and birth shapes the mom as well as the baby. And there's just, and I just also find it really fascinating. I mean, just as you find like this space fascinating, I just feel like there's endless possibilities in exploring how this impacts us long-term. And I also feel that as a society, we don't recognize it as the amazing life-changing experience that it is. I mean, we, we say it is, but you know, like in ancient cultures, the reason why moms were practiced, like why they practice these different traditions is because they were valued. It's because, you know, without moms, there was no future. Like women bear children, they bear the future. And, and I just feel that that's such a important, you know, women are so important in that sense and in many senses, but I, I feel like we've lost that. And so for a lot of different reasons, I immediately thought of doing a summit on the postpartum period because it was such a finite amount of time that we have um, to take care of ourselves. And it has such a, you know, I believe longer term implications to ourselves and our children and how we parent as well. Um, So I just felt like I had to do it. And so I have gathered these amazing speakers in from all walks of life, from all different expertise levels and areas and, um, and sharing their, their information. And it's just been an amazing experience for me to, to bring that out, um, into the world. And I just hope that this is the start of like a revolution for the postpartum period and for moms to recognize that, you know, we can enter it with intention and that there are alternatives to how things are practiced with more of like the mainstream, you know, healing and parenting realms. Um, and that, you know, maybe we can make a difference and maybe we can impact and affect some change, um, to practices like supporting moms with more than just a doctor's visit six weeks postpartum or so that's a very much a, a bigger vision and mission with the summit. Um, but for immediately, you know, immediate short term impact is really just to expose and share with moms all these different ideas that are out there that I found personally helpful, um, you know, while I was planning for my postpartum and then finding out about since I've had my daughter two years ago. And I just think it's all amazing. Um, and any support that women can have in this area is just really important. Um, and so I'm just so happy that I can, you know, I created the summit, but also that people like you are generous enough to share your expertise and then also invite me on to your podcast. So I'm, I'm just, you know, beyond grateful for all Mm. of it. Well, it is about, you know, let's value ourselves. Let's value, value moms, because I love that phrase that you said of moms without moms, there is no future. And we've got to get back to valuing that. We've got to get back to realizing how amazingly powerful and, 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 crucial moms are to society as a whole and then support that and not just you know be left for moms to fend for themselves or as individuals but as a community and and have be more gentle with themselves and in terms of healing and the body but also gentler and have more grace 
with themselves because we're really hard on, on ourselves. So I can't wait to hear all this fabulous information from the during the summit from the the expert the experts that you talked about and see how their different points of views come together for that for, you know to to help moms um just feel better about themselves during that yeah. time yeah absolutely and i think there there's a bit of you know i was walking around with my daughter you know after the 30 days i was walking with her in my moby wrap and i looked around and i thought to myself oh my gosh like every single person that i see right now started off as a baby like it didn't you know like it didn't really like dawn on me until that moment that we were all babies <laughs> it was and and it made me so much more in touch with humanity and it made me realize like there is this this like unifying energy like with everyone that we interact with so no matter our different points of views and no matter our different walks of life and experiences like there there is a commonality that we can hold on to and birth is where it starts and it's so important that we respect that process and we honor it in so many different ways and and we give women the chance to do that that we allow them to to process it in in the avenues that they need to process it in and we respect them during that process. Mm, absolutely. And lessen our disconnects. Oh my goodness. Yes. What Lisa, what what are the dates for the summit and where can people go check it out because it's a, it's a free summit. We haven't mentioned that that on top of everything, yeah. all this great information like this podcast that I do is <laughs> you get to listen what experts say for free. What what are yeah. the dates? Yes, yeah, so the dates are November 9th to the 18th. So it'll be 10 days. Um, it's free. You just have to, I mean, you can just sign on to the website, but I encourage you to sign up for the email list so that you get email reminders of what's going on. But along with the email list, you will get a workbook that you can use to kind of help you prioritize which speakers you want to talk to or not talk to, which speakers you want to listen to, as well as you'll get a virtual goodie bag with some gifts from sponsors and speakers. And then, you know, you get to enjoy whatever, whichever ones you want. So all the videos, about four to five videos will go live each day. And you will then um, have 48 hours to view them. And one of the really cool things is one of our sponsors is Yoga Today. And they are um, sponsoring two video yoga classes during the summit as well. So there's a, there's going to be, um, a prenatal and postnatal yoga class, like two prenatal and postnatal yoga classes during the summit. So it's like a different experience as well. So you don't have to just be on there for the speakers, but there's also that. Um, so I'm just really excited about how there are these different components and different ways that you can learn from the speakers. Oh, that's super, super cool. What is the website address? The, thank you. The website address is fourthtrimestersummit.com. Um, and I know that you'll include a link um, in the show notes as well for that. So, uh, but f- yes, I will absolutely yeah. do that. For those who are listening, though, is that fourth f- with the number yeah. four TH? It'll be either or will work. So F O U R T H T R I M E S T E R summit, S U M M I T dot com. So either or will work because I bought both domains. So you'll be able to be redirected um, accordingly, but it is spelled out 
fourth trimester summit.com. Fantastic. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing with us your postpartum experience and, you know, bringing in that, that, that light of possibility of like, huh, maybe we need to be doing things differently. And I, yeah, I cannot wait to hear what the, what everyone in the summit has to say. I'm going to be gobbling it up for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and for having me on and allowing me to share my story. It was a lot of fun. And I just appreciate everything that you're doing to raise awareness for the postpartum period as well as birth. Mighty Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as Birthful. So come say hi. And if you're pregnant, don't forget to grab my birth partner's ultimate labor support toolkit at birthful.com slash toolkit. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you the Breathful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The title song for this podcast is Vibe Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Breathful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.